1: everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs, I'm Paul.
0: And I'm Dan, and on today's uh, show, we're really lucky to have one of our favorite comic creators working today, Mr. Kieran Gillen with us. And he has written series for the X-Men and the Avengers and Eternals and Star Wars and Warhammer and, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and as a game journalist, he also co-founded the Rock Paper Shotgun site too. So Kieran, uh, thank you immensely for joining us from London today
2: thank you for having me it's a delightful I was to say, i'm really excited about your intro video i was just watching that and go oh that's exciting so I, i'm really pumped i'm glad to be a, a part of this Excellent.
0: that's great that's great now now obviously we're here today to talk about your die role-playing game which is already a, a smash hit on kickstarter right at the moment so wow. congratulations from that um and that is tied into your Die comic that uh, among other things, won the British fantasy award for the best comic, best fantasy comic last year. Uh, Man, I saw that close. Matt Mercer, great, amazing. I saw that Matt Mercer said he was entranced by it. And personally, I was just completely, totally blown away by it. So uh, I am—I I personally am just have a burning number of questions that I want to ask you but. Just such a fascinating, unique, uh, unique product. Let me start with this. So, one thing that st- stands out to me as being unique with Dye is we talk to a lot of people who have taken some beloved literary product, some beloved literary property, and after the fact, they've gone to make a role-playing game to, to simulate it. And, and obviously that's where role-playing games come from with D&D. Mm. But with you, you made this comic and you made this game jointly together, and they're really, they're really fused together. The comic talks about making a game and the game talks about the world of the comic, which we, and I've never seen a property like that before. Tell us why you, why
2: you felt you wanted to do it that way. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got a terrible uh, habit of doing really, really foolish things you know that's probably the best way of putting it and this is just not good why on earth would i write three hundred thousand word rpg system on the same side of the comic apart from it just felt right like part of it came from a <laughs> friend of mine lee alexander the excellent uh she's a games writer now um ex games critic but we did a thing for my, one of my previous comics wicked divine which is basically we did an issue which was a magazine issue and it was done in the style of um a, 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 like a beautiful fashion magazine and of course i used to write in magazines um and it was all a series of interviews with the characters in the game, sorry, the characters in the comic, which I got real world journalists to interview them across uh, instant message. Um, and of course, you know, and it was fun. it's funny, it's and they wrote up as real articles, and you know, it's a really interesting piece. And she said uh, something like, "Basically, your work is most interesting when it's basically is stuff that only you would do," or because, and I was sort of thought, like, oh, "Leave me alone." But then I sort I sat back and was like, you, "She's right, of course, involves me." Playing, you know, MUDs in the 90s a lot. That involves me knowing a lot of journalists. That involves me being a games, you know, running magazines. So, that, all these different sort of skill sets. So, as I kind of like leaving Wictiv, one of the things I wanted to do was do stuff that no one else would want to do. Or rather, like, you know, I mean, for example, in internals I, I programmed the name generator for all the, the deviants with the bad guys. So, I broke the phenomes down and turned it into a system that could generate infinite numbers of like individual deviant names. And that's kind of like, not men, I mean, I'm not saying no one would do that, but not many people do it from, you know, um, and die is the VAT off the other scale entirely, you know, as in, oh, no, no, you're, you're somebody with a, br- a broad interest in RPGs um, and critical stuff. What, why don't you go from first principles? Because in some ways, die is, uh, as a, it's tricky because I, I was about to say, as the comic or the RPG, and it kind of has merged into one. For quite a long time like, when I was developing them, and it was like, which one's the dog and which one's the tail? Like, I was, I was a bit like, which project is kind of, like, really happening here? And at some point, it basically metabolised. It became that ouroboros There's a word I can never reliably say. You know, the snake had its own tail. And it became this one thing. And now I kind of view Die as a kind of, um... Okay, this is getting a little bit, like, uh, culty, But I kind of view Die in existence outside of the comic and the, and the game. As in these are kind of two perspectives you can use to look at the material. And each one's medium re- reveals different truths. So it's kind of like a hologram so if you read the comic you get some stuff in a, a certain way and if you read the, play the game you get stuff in a different one and you by playing them both simultaneously you know having both of them you kind of get have an existence outside either i mean weirdly that's how i always felt about the same middle earth as a kid which i loved as a you know it was one of my first fantasy i was playing video games i think i played the hobbit before i read the hobbit like the text adventure so like i've always approached middle earth as a kind of like its existence outside of any individual work. And that's the weirdest, of course, Tolkien. Of course, Tolkien's level of research and his world building, it always feels bigger than the page. And doing something in multiple mediums at once creates an aesthetic effect, which adds to both of them. A solidity, which implies it, you know, it's bigger than either can hold. And scene, that's why I did it. <laughs> 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 I had a phrase this, said, that's how I justify doing it now. If you asked me at the time, I would just go, it's much more, I feel compelled. So it's that kind of like the old, you know, I've got to ju- I justify it afterwards at the time it was like okay this is a stupid idea and you should do it <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: that feels i couldn't sympathize with that anymore that feels like fr- frankly everything about die just frankly feels creepily close to my brain to be perfectly honest kieran um and you know i'm someone who uh discovered uh like lovecraft and uh, moorcock through dnd Right, I was playing D and D and found their stuff in D books first, before I ever, you know, pursued the, the literature to it. So I feel that really close. Um, now, of course, the the die comic it just has beautiful artwork uh, by Stephanie Hans, and I think we have a slideshow that we could start. So you know, all kinds of stuff here from the some stuff from the comic that's going to appear in the um, the bound product for for the die RPG. Um, you know, one thing she, I know is what, you're, you're holding, yeah, go ahead.
2: As well, what you're showing at the moment, is actually, this is, this is unique work from the RPG. Because Stephanie's doing a whole load of new stuff for the RPG as well. That's kind of like part of the, actually, we've hit enough stretch goals, so she's going to do a load more, but like, uh, she's doing chapter headings and extra art and stuff. And, and this is like, I think this is for the best jury. this, this chapter heading. Uh, I, I must admit, I'm not quite entirely sure, but I think it's the best jury.
0: I think you're right. right I think we had down. like some chapters. Coming up first and then and then some other stuff. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. And I could I could flip through the, the artwork that Stephanie did all day. Now, one thing I said, you're, you're currently holding a D20, like right now, yeah. I think. <laughs> and, and, and so you kind of write in a couple of places that die is intentionally somewhat fetishizing our gaming dice. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the role that the, the gaming dice play and how that reflects on the core mechanics and the classes in your game.
2: Okay, this is like um, sort of sort of pausing to smile. One of the things that Die does is like we've kind of won the cultural war, you know. Like, but I I think we're all of an age when we grew up with this. Satan- we grew up with the Satanic Panic. We grew up with like having to fight those battles to justify, you know. Uh, d d you talk about stuff like you know Steve Steve Jackson Games being raided by the uh, FBI, you know about you know all that stuff. Genuinely is a yeah. cultural battle, and we've kind of and part of Die is kind of reclassing. Let's, okay, we won, let's pretend they were right. You know, let's say, oh no, GMs are cultists and they want to drag us through other worlds and the dice are creepy, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you kind of get, you know what I mean? You're getting a bit of satanic panic energy because you think about it, like, I think about my parents, like, look at the d dice. How weird are they? Like, if you take away all the cultural stuff and the, you walk in and you think, what are these objects? And they're kind of, they're magical, and then what they are is they're magical objects that allow us access to other worlds. So the core of Die is basically each of the characters are going to get ownership of one of the classic dice, and it's what gives them powers. They're basically the Lord of the Rings; yeah, these are the rings from Lord of the Rings, but for the Die universe. And you know, and it's and it's metaphorically speaking about how these dice transformers, or uh, you know, quote unquote. Um, so that's, that, was the, that was that was immediately the idea, and that's why you call it Die. That was one of the bits where how come that no one's done a horror comic or game called Die. It's, it's literally the low-hanging fruit. And of course, now I've realised in respect why, because you can't Google it. You know what I mean? It's still the right oh, uh, name. It though. might have
0: happened to us this morning, actually. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not always very clever. It's that kind of like it's, it's, it's a good idea. We should do it. Oh, I, I didn't think about the problem. Um, yeah, so then that point became, okay, when building the world, I want to base each of these classes to um, sort of deconstruct some of the classic D&D stuff that's the kind of like, I'm going to start with the classic uh, a, lot, a lot of dice actually looking at say stuff that was a bit more trad and then making it weird and like or trying a conversation of what's really going on um, like the deconstructionary aspect so like, it's like looking at the dice and what they are and um and how you, can you do a twist so six classes um I trying to remember which was the first one i made up that's day of the master and that's the basic the GMers, and it's the standard antagonist. And it's the D20 class. That's the GM gets a character in the game, who basically plays as the main antagonist. Though, the way Die goes, it can become, you know, much. Is the person who's dragged. They're, sorry, they're the person who's dragged you into the world. And of course, they've done it for a reason. Maybe it's more sympathetic or not, and that's kind of the way the game goes. It's basically. Um, there's an amazing cartoon in the, in the second edition of Paranoia, which is. Like, and they basically. It's basically of somebody, a load of cops outside somebody's house. And the caption is, um, come, you know, come out, Billy. We can tell you're not re- using the, mo- uh, we can tell you're not using the rules modifying for movement, <laughs> you know? And the, the joke being <laughs> is there's no game police to come and stop you doing stuff. And of course the master is kind of like, yo, no, there is. So what you do, the master basically, <laughs> they change reality by breaking the rules. They get to play with the rules. You can get to do stuff on the fly and tweak. I mean, some of the stuff is just bending, which is fine. And you got stuff, you just entirely break it. It was a great play test where someone was playing the master as a player and they changed the decimal point on the um, overland travel rules, which don't really, you know, as in like, so, you know, you normally say like, oh, I'll, I'll travel 10 miles a day and I travel and it's changed. No, I travel hundred miles a day. And you know, that's, that's the kind of rule tweak yeah, they yeah. did. And that's, you know I mean? That's, that's what we call a gamist master. And they're not all like that. And, um, and of course, there's these basically reality cops who come up, uh, if you get caught, the reality cops turn up to try to basically stop you. That's an example of one of the classes. So the idea of like, you know, the classic idea of the GM is tw- it, the GM's cheating. We know the GM is cheating, and they're not, mostly. Um, but let's turn that into actually the character class. Um, and that's an example. Then there's, let's just rush through them, because I speak for an hour about them. Um, the dictator, <laughs> which is basically the bard, D4, and the idea is basically leaning into the idea of, the idea of a song affecting someone's emotion, that's normal. And then you has no it's really creepy. So it's basically looking at charm and taking it seriously. The idea that this is, imagine the barge as a horror character and their, their art is a thing that can really mess with people. Um, and that's what the dictator does. Um, they can get to, they can do, you know, yes, they can obviously make people obey them, but they can also turn the dial up. There's an amazing bit in the, no, there's a bit, I really like in the comic where somebody loved me beyond all reason. Um, and they basically catch fire, you know, their heart is burst into flames cause you know, they've literally been able to do magically powerful light effects. That's the dictator. Um, the Fool is the D6. D6 uh, die runs off of like a, um, a dice pool system, which is a uh, D6, and you get to add your special dice. Uh, the Fool is kind of like um, uh, the, kind of the other side of the bard, like the swashbuckling, charming kind of person. And it's also the player archetype, but the player who isn't taking anything too seriously. There's, there's someone at the table who's less invested, who's making jokes. The Fool is basically that, but um, they get basically super luck powers as long as they treat things lightly. And of course, in a game of series, often the serieses die. That's hard, <laughs> you know. Like, and it, of course, that all depends on the persona. What they um, they get to do with their D6 is they get to draw on it, so they get to basically scribble things on the side. And basically, that if they if the scribbles turn up, they get basically floops of luck. Um, the D8 is the uh, emotion knight, which is kind of our paladin fighter class. D- eight-sided dice, therefore, classic. You know, long sword damage. Um, there's a an old piece of um and basically instead of being about religion i made the paladin about emotions and i use this basically this 1980s 1990s style of um real psychology but basically there's eight emotions of varying intensity so it, go, it goes from sadness to grief it's that one that's one of the eight and the emotion like basically as long as they are getting to feel their emotion they get to basically power up their powers with their sentient arcane weapon and that can get be from like just being a really good fighter in that way to the creative violence ability that basically allows you to do ridiculously supernatural effects. Like, I don't know, defeat a mountain, defeat someone's sense of loss, you know, and that kind of, uh, the idea of almost like that, that, you know, that bit in, um, Voodoo Child by, uh, by Jimi Hendrix, I, I chop a mountain with the side of my hand. That's kind of what they get to do if they're sad enough or whatever their emotion is. Um, Neo, they're all cyberpunk class, because this game is in the story is kind of very, very 1991. You know, it was kind of deliberately that there's a kind of, there is a kind of period, beast vibes to the aesthetics um neo is kind of the road class that's my analysis of like um well no the D10 is the newest of all the dice therefore it's the newest that's the sci-fi dice um they get these cybernetic magical influence uh, implants and they get to activate them with fair what we call fair gold which is kind of a riff on the fairy gold trope um uh, and it's me basically talking about like basically all adventurers are kind of thieves so why the hell is this weird prejudice against thieves in games? Because everyone's just taking stuff that isn't nailed down. Um, so they basically, the Neo will have to have this resource fair gold, which only they're really interested in. But if they cut their powers, their abilities, it allows it to turn it on. It allows it to overcharge, it gets really powerful effects. Um, and so they're constantly, they want something no one else really cares about. And it's that moment of like, Neo, no, don't, don't go there. Um, and it's the wonderful moment of like with a Neo player, you kind of put the you know you get a gold coin or whatever and you put it on the table and then and you describe it as oh no this tell me about what you most have ever wanted in the what your so tell me about what your persona as in your real world person has ever most wanted in the world and it's, and it's and people go oh you know the when i first fell in love when i first saw my wife when i first got my nintendo 64 or whatever then it's like yeah this is as, this makes you feel that that much and then seeing what the player does because there's literally two schools that one is oh that's a bit dangerous <laughs> i better stay away from that, i better be careful. And there's the other sort who is scrambling over the table to try to grab the gold coin. Um, the Neo. And finally, the Godbinder. The Godbinder is basically the analysis of the, of the cleric. Um, like, if you think about it, it's, it's so weird, the kind of r- relationship with gods in a classic D&D, as in, you know, yes, I will heal you, but only for, like, D8 wounds. <laughs> like, what kind of god does a crappy miracle like that? Uh, and it kind of just you know, and God's one god is basically the idea of this person is basically bartering of gods for miracles. And it can be like on low levels it's something we call scripture, which is something more like spells. And on the high level it's literally whatever you want. Or whatever that god could do. But they've got to pay the price. And the price is obviously compared to what you've just made them do. And that's a really great way to drive plots. Um and that's that's basically the sixth of the class. I mean they're a bit um as you see they kind of hit the major archetypes but they're also deliberately made to be quite flexible so like if you want to make the Godbinder more like a like a magician you can make it work as well and at the neo you know it's basically a rogue but you choose the right gifts you can get basically a classic cyberpunk terminator-esque bruiser as well you know so they're all designed to be a bit flexible but that's kind of the core of them
0: and rest oh super cool it's, it's it's super um you know i was initially really surprised that you have a cyber the, the neo cyberpunk character um in the in the book and it's funny because we were just running a cyberpunk game on our channel um thursday nights uh, a couple of weeks back actually um so we're 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 very into that and of course like in the book the the character that plays the neo is actually a video game coder And um, Mm. I guess I should point out, for example, Paul and I um, first met when we were video game engineers in the late 90s, as a matter of fact, is how we know each other. And you even go so far as to have uh, crunch time in the video game industry actually be a really important plot element (laughs) for one of the characters and their relationships action. I was like, wow, he is really digging really deep (laughs) into what it's what it's like to be in the game industry. That was like. I, I did not expect I, I did not expect that when it showed up on the page. Um, now, one thing one thing that um, you very briefly touched on for a second ago is Die has is really deep on on the role play aspect, and I think there's at least some of the Nordic LARP tradition kind of bursting mm-hmm. through at the seams in places. And so, having watched one or two of your actual play sessions, what happens is the players come and sit at the table, and you have them make characters for the fictional earth and then you have them get up and and walk away for a beat and then you come back and you sit down at the table and now you're playing those earth characters and then those characters make other characters for the for the (laughs) die fantasy world Uh, what and 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 so in the rules you have to kind of you have to uh, distinguish between these three different people the player and the the real world character and the fantasy world character why, on, why was that important? Why didn't you just, like, make PCs and you're in the fantasy world like every other game does?
2: I think, like, it's one of the things, like, the very way you describe Dying, it sounds incredibly meta, which, of course, it is. But, like, it <laughs> is that kind of, it's a game about RPGs. And especially, like, it's what we do in the comic in that way. You know what I mean? Like, we sit down and we, kinda, we sit down as real people, and then we generate pretend people, and then we become those pretend people. So, I can't, you know what I mean? Echoing the structure. And to be honest, the, the word I often use is um, like re enchanting. The idea of like, no, let's make this magical. Let's, one of my favorite, really small parts is the, the, when you hand out the dice to the players, and the players uh, create the characters, and then you kind of do the whole final ritual, which is basically the thing that transports the die, and it's everyone takes their dice and close their eyes and lower them to the table. And that's weird, and it works really well. It's a really small bit of sizzle, and then you kind of, you open your eyes, you're somewhere else. And that's the core of the RPG promise. Um, okay, the way. Okay, I can imagine Grant going to burst through the door as if I say the word Cartesian, which is normally what happens. Um, but there is a bit of like. <laughs> the important thing is the persona. Like, the persona is what we call the people in the real world. Like, that whole section is a really free form conversation. You, like, there's a list of questions people answer, and you build up your social group, because that's the key thing of Die. It's like the characters are lighter in roles. Like, quite light in rules. So, that whole bit when you make the person you transform into, that's more like a power up, really. The people who matter are the persona, because the the persona is where you're going to get the world you come from. Like, the gym is going to. Like, if you've got a bad relationship with your dad, uh, or your dad's dead and you never made up to him, your dad's a dragon, you know, your dad's going to turn him as a dragon you're going to finally face. You know what I mean? It's basically mining people, the persona's backstories, and turning it into psychodrama in the fantasy world. (laughs) Um, So making sure the persona was the real thing. And of course, especially people, okay, I'm going to dial back a couple of steps there. The other important thing is people think, oh, that's kind of quite tricky. And the thing is, it really isn't. Like the, the great, what I most like about Dai is, you spend so long, not, you know, you spend an amount of time developing these real world people. And then you, so you get to know them. Like even if you don't know, you know, anything at all about games, you can answer questions about real world people because you are one, <laughs> you know? I don't know how to be an orc, but I've been a human being for like most of my life. Um, so that you know that, that that makes it really kind of accessible there. And so when you actually go to a fantasy world, there's a lot of the game which is about reminding the players that they're not the characters they transform into. That's just like the powers. You are somebody from the real world in a weird situation, and that is the thing that grounds it, and that's the thing that makes people be able to roleplay. And that's where you get the kind of the, the very small Nordic lot section, which is only like 20 minutes, whereas mm-hmm. um, you're mm-hmm. playing your persona, because it's really about embodiment, like giving people a chance to start experimenting with speaking like that person in a situation where you're really doing something else you know what you're really doing is filling him some boxes on the sheet <laughs> so it's, it's a safe place to start playing with your character you're not immediately thrown into like the challenging rpg stuff of it um it, so it's, a, it's a safe sort of like um a play area and then you go into when you're actually going to die itself it becomes something much more like a classic Arneson Gygaxian model where you have a gm and the players and you you use that kind of structure but for me it was like it's so like a, a whistle-stop tour. I mean, I love RPGs, you know, so whistle-stop tour stuff I've loved. Like, here we go. Like, the 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 opening persona stuff is really a narrative, you know, it's absolutely a narrative game. It's about questions and answering questions and building and etc. And you've got this micro-Nordic lore, which is also developing character sheets, you know. And then you're into a classic RPG kind of setup, which people would be quite familiar with, with some modern twists in terms of, like, how, it, how various things operate. Um. Yeah? You know what I mean? It's like a I wanted that it's a love letter. I mean die is a really cynical love letter, but it's a love letter nevertheless.
1: <laughs> I'm 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 super curious about that uh, the development there of the of the persona and whether or not I guess I've seen that trope a lot and, and we've seen it in mm. fiction, uh, you know, of, of, of uh you know mm-hmm. characters in the real world being thrust into fantasy world, whether it's you know Jumanji or the Guardians of Flame series or the Game Earth trilogy or any of that stuff, uh, felt like it was very popular. And I feel like I've seen a few folks try to reproduce that in in a in an existing uh, you know trad RPG, and a lot of times the way it comes across is well we'll just play ourselves. And do you Ooh, ever explore dangerous. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious if that's did you did you immediately reject that concept, or or did you play with it ever?
2: Well, so the thing to remember, of course, the original Blackboard games that was the scenario that was that they they were actually dragged into the you know this is like weirdly this is a fundamental rpg plot and that is it's something we've seen quite a few times but that's what makes it interesting (laughs) for me as in it's almost a forgotten part of our roots i mean i remember like what's the name for that sort of game where when i in the 90s it was avatar games it was described as me as you play yourself and i've back in the day ran. I, i used to regularly run my christmas game with my friends and it was always you play yourself uh, and it oh. was always an apocalyptic, dumb, hilarious, and it was, and that's the only way you get away with it because it's a comedy game. It's a zombie apocalypse, and you know, here is just the opening <laughs> scene that I, my character gets, you know, eaten alive by a zombie, and everyone has to start dealing with it. Um, you know what I mean, like, because if you're playing yourself, immediately you get bleed, as in your the character it gets far too personal immediately. You, I think yeah, you, yeah. That's the, for immediately for me, it's like if you're going to do a serious game, unless you're really in a very intense like social group where it's very safe you need the distance of fiction like and that's one of the most important mm-hmm. bits of like uh, the get divide when asking a player you say hey what does your persona you know what does your persona Jezebel think about this you don't say what do you think about this because because that's the other thing about die that you're using real world people even with a fictional layer people often mind stuff so it, you know yeah you've got the fig leaf this isn't me. But it's still, at some point, you're probably going to get something that's quite familiar. And then you're going to be able to play with it in a safe way. But it's still kind of dangerous and exciting. So that was, for me, the reason why you had to do it that way. Um, And, of course, it's it's also there's so much about the game where you get it from mining um, there. Also, the stuff you choose. If you choose to account, oh, my account's obsessed by, I don't know, uh, Tolkien or Taylor Swift or David Bowie or whoever. That's something probably you like, too. So therefore it's a thrill for you when you go into the fantasy world and suddenly david bowie is the king of hell and uh taylor swift is leading an army of valkyries trying to fight it or whatever you know what you know but it also stuff that matters to you as a real person i mean like i remember like the first time i threw david bowie as an npc at somebody the entire table basically exploded in joy um so there's a bit of that but i think that's why you need persona because it gives you kind of distance but also gives you closeness mm. and also so much about Dyer's the set scenario, the set structure for the game is kind of what's in the comic, as when you go to the fantasy world, then have to come to an agreement whether to come home or not. So having persona since that's got a fairly like, rigid structure in some ways, the persona being so variable is what gives the game its variability. Like it can be whatever. It just depends on how messy the people are on the way in. And like, you know, um imagine a game played of like all the characters are 16-year-old and they're, you know and they're 16-year-old from, like, a, 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 I don't know, like, a really, really, um, a really, let's say a really posh school or whatever. And we compare that to a game where, oh, yeah, this is a group of 70-year-olds uh, and old people home, you know. And, like, it doesn't, you know, or anything. It can be all soldiers playing at, uh, in the front line, you know, in a, in a war, and they're just, they're, this is their downtime. Because a lot of people play RPGs in the in the downtime and all that kind of stuff. And by taking real people and throwing them into a, like, a sort of like a ritualised situation, you get real interesting novelty from the players, and for me, that's the joy. That also, even having the very clean rules at the end, in that kind of, do we stay or go? It's got to be a vote. Everyone's got to agree, and if they don't, you know, and dead people don't get votes. And That's where the, the spice comes from—the reality game of it—and <laughs> um, then becomes the question of what were you? Will, what is your persona willing to kill for? Or that you know, is that? Kind of, yeah, I want to stay here, but there's no way I'm killing my friends, and then although is that there's infinite numbers of varieties there means you just don't know how it's going to play and i've had games where it's like it is jumanji it's the kind of the, the fun adventure like yeah the, the master who dragged us in is a complete bastard we're going to get go across this adventure murder them like don't take us and we're going to go home there's other games where everyone you realize the masters dragging you in is really a cry for help you know it's them them trying to wrestle with parts of our identity they can't face in the real world um, and everyone has a big hug everyone cries and they go home and in the real world they try to be better you know um and sometimes it's both therapy and sword fights which is great you know what i mean um <laughs> and it all depends upon the meta question of die is come on why do we play opgs and when you sit down and play the game yeah you're asking the persona what what, what they care about in fantasy but you're really asking the players as well and as a group together you decide what it's going to be like and i love that you know what i mean that's like it's an RPG, certainly it's an RPG about RPGs, right? but it's also, and it takes that seriously, but it also takes that with heart. That's to me, that's the important thing, because it's, like, it's very easy for me to disappear down the meta hole, but really, it's just really emotional. Yeah. Like, That's the thing, Like, you, you get the kind of like, oh yeah, this is really affecting, or occasionally really hilarious, because that's the thing, you know, um, yeah, anyway, I'm a fan. <laughs>
0: Awesome. <laughs> uh thank you for uh thank you for uh actually kind of outlining what what the end game of of die is actually the fact because i i didn't know if i was allowed to spoil it actually but of course the whole thing builds toward this really interesting end game where the the party has to uh come to a unanimous decision um about whether to to go to go back to the real world or not actually and in in case of a dispute anybody who's dead they don't get a vote so, um, so there's there is uh, an out. There's a, there's a mechanic for resolving the dispute if someone really doesn't want to get on board with the rest of the group, and it's possibly
2: uh, very violent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like it doesn't. It's one of the things. It definitely doesn't have to be. I mean, we've got a, we've got quite a lot of safety. There's a lot of safety tools, especially because it's a mm-hmm. with comic readers. You people may not be familiar with like safety tools or how hard a game can go. But definitely at the fault it's like, oh, yeah, there's no player violence. It's set possibly in the climax. That's kind of the default of the game. As in, you yeah, when things get really heated, maybe it is. and But that's at the end of the game. Therefore, it's different. Um, and of course, the other thing about the, the, the end, the climax is in the standard game of Die, there's also a time limit. Like the world's going to end unless you make a decision. <laughs> so it's not like you're going to sort of be able to sit down and go, okay, we'll work this out. It's like, oh, no, the sky's falling to pieces. I, you know i need to go home to feed my kid a pizza or whatever <laughs> i gonna have to fight my old gym teacher uh, and see what happens so yeah that's kind of you know you say it's interesting and you also say about the spoilers of it in terms of like how much do you want to give away and i kind of figure anyone listening to this is like they probably want to know what they want to get into like and especially with the safety tools in the game at the start of the game we say um um I forgot what to say. At the start of the game, We made clear that there is a possibility for, like, at the climax, there is going to be the, the possibility of this. Um, all these, if Unless people decide they don't want that, then it has a... You take that off the table. And then very early, when you arrived in Die, you get the rules explained to you. Because I think knowing what the rules are is why it's interesting. It's like watching any... um, It's like a reality TV show. People have got to know the rules before they start playing the game. um, And it's in a very real way. The climax of Die when you've got those very clean rules... It's like something out of Drag Race. You know, it's like, um, this is like a game everyone is playing now. <laughs> and they're going to um, uh, see how they're going to do it. Um, Especially when you've got the meta. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the Fallen? Let's talk about uh, the Fallen. Let me... I mean, that...
0: Great, great. They're important. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also the other <laughs> thing. When someone gets killed and die, they get up as a zombie monster called the Fallen. So it was, just because you've been killed doesn't mean that you're not there anymore. And the thing about Fallen is if they, you know, if they kill another member of the party, they come alive again. So, <laughs> you know, th- there's, there's that aspect to it as well, um, which is, and it's so funny. I mean, we're talking about the, the two being de- developed together. Like I had the, I named the Fallen in the comic first, but the idea that the Fallen were just real people came in from the game. And that was me trying to solve the problem of player elimination. Because it's, you know,
0: Great.
2: die counts are quite fragile. So, like, giving them, like, yeah. get up, there's a problem. <laughs> so, you know, the problem is now you're not going home. Unless. And, of course, that's also part, part of the, you know, the very basic setup of the system is, since you've got the antagonist who took you there, you've got at least one person who might be okay to eat, to get become alive again. You know what I mean? So, that despite you've got the tension, you've also got the possibility of a happy ending. And, of course, there's also possibility of ways to become back to life outside of the, the basic setup. But that's the cool guy.
0: Super cool. Uh, you know, one thing that I love in the comic and, and I, I don't think we've said it. I mean, the, the, the die comic is, is very tight. Uh, you had 20 issues and that was the end of it. Um, and they're all available in uh, compilations, um, complete compilations at this point. Um, and Kieran also has uh, fairly extensive essays at the end of every issue. So usually there's a three, four, five, six page essay about, the research that you did and the thinking of the design of both the game and the comic that I found to be completely invaluable, and I totally just um, completely uh, fell into that every time. Um, One thing you pointed out is that on the issue of spoilers, which is why I say this, is you had the game available uh, or at least designed right off the bat, and you write at one point, like around issue five, you go, I really wanted to release it, but I felt that I couldn't because there's spoilers in the game for what's going to happen in the comic. And I think it's specifically uh, the point where you reveal the issue with the Fallen in the comic where you go, I think now I can actually release the beta rules of the game because now you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: um, I thought that was really fascinating how how what 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 like the problems that you were solving... Doing both of these at the same time. Um, let, me, let me point out one thing. Okay, so one thing you're talking about is the issues with the fictional Earth persona feeding into the, the, the why do we play? Why 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 are play, people playing RPGs? And so, reading the very first issue, I don't think this is a huge spoiler. Um, the of the comic, the the real world people go to the fantasy world, and sometimes I'm slow, honestly. And a couple pages later, I was like, wait a minute. The, the gender ratio is not the same as what it used to be. Where did that? Where did that switch? And I had to go back and figure out that uh, Dominic, who's a man in the real world, is Ash, who is a woman in the fictional world, and has a very full life as a woman there. Um, and without saying too much, um, that's that's an important plot point. I think that many of us have uh, friends uh, who. Uh, you know used rpgs to explore or come out as queer at some point in a gentle fashion and we we are very thankful to have a safety a safe zone for them to do that why did you personally feel that that was that was important to have as a plot element in die
2: like um i, don't know for I think for all the reasons you've just described is the reasons why it was important to do I mean, like, Die is about RPGs, and it takes RPGs very seriously. And in other words, this is how people use... And if the question is why we play games, it certainly includes stuff like that. As in, like, you talk about all the dungeons we've gone down, but the real treasure mainly taken is a knowledge about yourself. It's where, I mean, this isn't spoilers, really, but, like, there's a bit where Ash, towards the end, talks about games being a conversation, you know, which is the, the classic PBTA kind of way of viewing games. But, of course, you, if it's a conversation, you should be aware of what it's telling you. And like you're right, there's so many people who have discovered and used games safe place to explore parts of themselves and parts of themselves they may have been, may not have even been aware of until they've started to play with themselves there and that's magical that's powerful um and the idea of i mean the thing about like imagine rpgs is imagining of someone else but it's also like what other person do you imagine you are and then you realize no this is part of me and you you know absolutely um so yeah and especially like the, i don't want to say too much about where the story goes but also just done. Ungen- I mean, I talking about myself, you know, as I'm a queer person. You know, this is all. Uh, this is all very much me talking about stuff, which very much how I view games. So like, um, like all this stuff for all the characters has that. In fact, that kind of, if you look at the, the, the group, there's a there's a bit of that in there as well. As in, all the characters are not just. Um, I'm trying to make them a real social group, but also they're like different sorts of players, people who came to games for different reasons. And I mentioned Chuck is the fool, who's a person not taking it too seriously. You know, but then, you know, and Ash is somebody who takes it intensely seriously in a different, because Ash Ash has got um, emotional stakes here. Um, We go through the different group of different kind of ways like that. So, um, yeah, it just felt to be um, dishonest. And also I wanted to write about it. There is that kind of simple as an, I don't want to, you know, this is stuff I want to write about because it's stuff I've never written about. So as a creator, there's always that to it.
0: I don't feel like I had seen it dealt with that way in, uh, in certainly in a comic or role playing before. So that that hit me really hard when when you have that that arc uh, in in
2: the book. So I was it's, uh, it's, among the things that really. Me. Thank you. Honestly, it's like it's, I hope it reads genuine and sincere and um, complicated. Like, that's the thing I didn't want to make it a really um, easy story either. Like uh, I think Ash is, Ash is more complicated than a simple narrative, and there's certainly different readers you can take on her as well. Um, and just at, the, at least part of the reason why I'm, don't want to do spoil. At least part of the reasons why I leave it quite open at the end is to allow interpretation. As in if someone wants to take it that much, right. take yeah. it one way or the other, yeah. they can. They can make it more. It's more like themselves. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely something. <laughs> you know, Ash, a hundred percent. It's weird. It's a coming out story, which kind of like doesn't quite tell you the reader what Ash has decided. But at the same time, it's absolutely a coming out story. Um,
0: you, you you just you just that's great. You just answered one of my uh, questions that I would have I would have asked. Actually, it's exactly what <laughs> is that that end state uh, w- again yeah. without any spoilers. Just, so you totally you t- for me yeah. you totally answered it. So thank you.
2: Yeah, the last thing Ash says, just like Sophie, is like I've got so much to tell you. So it's definitely that kind of like and it, she you know um, Ash isn't talking about die. <laughs> you know, Ash is talking about something much else. If we ever did a sequel to Die, obviously I would have to come down and say something. You know what I mean. But at the moment, um, yeah. at the, and I've certainly got my own take, but at the moment, I'm okay with just going with the text. Like, because people have kind of over, I mean, there's a discussion about gender queerness in there, which is like um, certainly a, a read, but it's not, Ash doesn't say that. It's just put on the table as it's something we're talking about. Um, but actually, I think it, I'm going to, I think it's weird you can quote key lines without don't think, spoiling it. And it, it, uh, whatever I decide it is, I decide. And that's kind of, I think, really important, like um, how people use games and queerness broadly. As in, like, no, it's your decision. You know, you, you get to you get to think about it, and you get to like, what is it for you? What is it for you? And that's valid. I hope. Anyway, that's that's my hope. Anyway. Cool,
0: cool, super. That uh, I, that was among the many things. That's the thing that drove me to read the entire series in one night. Frankly, um, uh, a, movie, a different different subject. I have um, that you've mentioned a couple times in some of your writing. Um, for quite a while, I've had a thesis that original Dungeons & Dragons is fundamentally a horror game. And, um, and, and as an example, that uh, love him or hate him, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is really at the root of the pulp tradition that fed into Gygax's D&D, exactly, for, at least. And he was a huge influence on... Howard and Lieber and Merritt and all those kinds of guys that were the, the founding documents for the, for the D&D pulp tradition. So you, again, hopefully not too much of a spoiler. You literally put Lovecraft at the root of your world. Um, Did, did you always know that your, the die, the die story was fundamentally cosmic horror or did that dawn on you at a later date? Was that the plan all along or did that, did that creep up on you?
2: Oh, no, definitely the cosmic horror of Dai was very real. Like, you know, like, I kind of always... I, these, I, mean, I, said, I talk about Rocco's Basilisk, which is, like, one of the influence, of influences... But the idea of... Um, the Can we tell us about Rocco's Basilisk
0: if, if, if we didn't know what that
2: was? <laughs> oh, it's dangerous to tell people about Rocco's Basilisk. Uh, it's just okay, weird. yeah, or so
0: or just let them. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> if if just Google
2: it. <laughs> <But> in reality, <laughs> the idea of, like, something in the future Oh, this is real heading towards spoilers. Um, the whole, the cosmic horror of it felt very real. You know, like the idea of like, because I'm an existentialist, so I believe in free will. You know, I believe in choice. And of course, that's a very much a gamer perspective. And the idea of there's something really, what's the horror of a gamer? And I guess part of the horror of the game are the idea of none of my choices matter. And, you know, if you can do a horror story about gaming, making it cosmic horror, <laughs> like, is a way to make it feel horrible. Because uh, that's definitely why it feels goth. That's the, uh, the awful. Um, the awful majesty of the thing, I guess. So yeah, it was always there. And I always thought sort I of knew we'd get to Lovecraft eventually. Um, you know, and we hit other kind of, we call 20, for people that don't die itself, which is not necessarily where the comic, where the game, your games are set. Um, but the comic is set in a D20 world. Each one of the sides is basically got a master. And the master is the person who shapes its aesthetics. And I don't really, and it's kind of, it's not just like say that the Narnia realm is all kind of like just Narnia. It's what it or like the Tolkien realm is like Middle Earth. It's not. It's basically a conversation and a deconstruction of it. So like the the realm of the Tolkien master is very much about um, World War One. It's about how it's about where Tolkien got so much of the the, the emotional like material that went into Lord of the Rings. So all the realms are kind of like conversations about like what it's really about, or, or one way of looking at it anyway, which is kind of thing. And the the I mean I admit the Lovecraft realm is just mainly a Okay, it's a horror realm It's horrific, but it, it is also the it's something quite tongue in cheek because oh, I don't want to completely spoil it. But the idea of like if you think about it, RPG groups are kind of like Lovecraftian cults. You know, all these kind of weird kids in the 80s, like mainly very white, pallid kids hiding in dark, dark rooms, saying words no one understands, like "faco, faco." You know, that's a <laughs> bit like a Lovecraft cult. Uh, and that was kind of like the idea of like, and this is this returns to like the satanic panic ideas. The idea of like, let's pretend we're all the, you know, at least in, in that one realm. Let's say RPG RPG kids are like uh, Lovecraft cults. Um, that seems funny and, and bleak as well. You know, what I mean, also you know, um, there's a real bleak comedy element there, but at the same time, still being a horror story. Um, yeah, but then get something like H.G. Wells is in there because, of course. That was all, the other thing about Die is a comic. Um, it's also the idea comes from me, of course, being a cri- an ex-critic. But Die is, of course, also a living critical argument about what made up RPGs. So um, we, we've got um, uh, so each of the realms they've got these masters, and these masters are things that went into RPGs. So you've got a realm which is, um, uh as I said, Tolkien. In, you know, Tolkien is master. Well, uh, Lovecraft is master. We've got a realm which is the brontes you know uh, charlotte bronte which of course this is uh, very much leading what um uh john peterson's kind of analysis you know john's Peterson's sort of threefold model of um uh genre mechanics and me- essentially means as in so the paracosm the bronte kids did whilst talking around the table kind of an rpg if you squint and it's certainly that conversational model then of course I've, you don't actually meet them in the comic but you've got the prussian um like the Prussian, the two Prussian uh, aristocrats who did the original uh, Kriegspiel. they're like behind Eternal Prussia, which is like one of the regions. We've got H.G. Wells, and H.G. Wells is oh, okay. Any, anyone can disagree with this, but like one of the very earliest bits of commercial war gaming, as in war gaming for people to buy in shops, was done by H.G. Wells, and I love the idea of H.G. Wells' really important work wasn't all the big books we know. It was with a set of like war game rules he did in nineteen eleven. Uh, as an attempt to stop World War Two, and of course that becomes the plot too. Um, so yeah, that was very much like the idea of like when you start thinking about RPGs as a conspiracy, and the idea that like you have a cosmic horror take on RPGs. Anything that happened suddenly becomes creepy, and there's a and the second you start looking at the dates of all those things I've just described, it becomes really creepy. Which is a delight, you know, because that gives I mean, the completely <laughs> different strain. It's very much like this is the stuff I think is so much more in the comic than the game the game is much more about the persona, the emotional meat of it, um, and like, there's not really what we deliberately haven't done in the RPG, and it's something we might do in an expansion down the line. It's like we don't tell you how to do our HG Wells, or you know, those realms aren't in the game. It's lots, you know, we have stuff like the the core cool big ingredients so like Die Fallen, um, the Fair, who I haven't talked about the classes, the stuff that makes it feel like Die. Then we've got ways to really turn people's obsessions into the world like, really quick ways to look... You know, I mentioned, like, the, the Taylor Swift and Bowie of it all. Like, ways to take so many obsessions and turn them into this stuff for this game. Uh, so that stuff's more important for the game. But the comic very much is like, OK, I'm going to give you an essay. Uh, an essay in the form of... Because um, that's the other thing about it being a world of all these masters in. It's not static. So, like, you know, the, the Prussian war, the Prussian realm being eternally at war with Little England, is re- or an angrier is really a war over between is story or narrative more important? You know, and it's literally turning that into like the world politics. <laughs> um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. We have fun. And you know, Stephanie drew in incredibly beautiful things. It's the does.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was uh, I was talking to my, my partner Isabella here last night about the the literary characters that show up. And there's a great and scary moment with Wells and I was trying to get her to guess the four that appear in the comic. And of course, the one that she would not have guessed was uh, Charlotte Bronte. And she pretty much just fell off the sofa she was um, sitting on when I told her that was one of the four main gaming influences. Uh, One of your essays, you say that you you discovered that yourself in John Peterson's Playing at the World. And uh, John's a a big friend of the show, actually. We've had him on once before. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll have him on again. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's interesting, like how much of the structure in playing at the world that Peterson identifies, you actually kind of use in multiple places of die. But let me ask about, let me ask about this again, this persona thing. So there's a nearly having read the, the beta rules, of the RPG, there's a place at the end. I'm just going to, I'm going to quote you here for a second where you write. <laughs> Under narrative RPGs, you're right. I'd argue that the major mo- mode of narrative RPGs at the moment involves players influencing the game world's creation directly. As in, rather than the GM creating the world that the player just moves through, the players and the GM collaborate in some way to create the details of the reality, not just the actions of a player's characters the environment. Die does not tend to work like this, at least not always. So maybe you can tell us, what is the different approach that Die takes to that kind
2: of thing. I you, the, the one really good thing, there's so much beta stuff out there at the moment. I said, like, and I, I don't know how, I think it's about 200,000 of like beta materials out there. And there's like another hundred thousand extra stuff I wrote. And that's been cut down enormously. And that the real joy of working on Roman Rook and Deckard is the, the distillation. And in some ways, how much I've learned in terms of expressing what I always played as a, in much tighter ways. We've got like, I thought I was so, just tweaking the, um, the principle section in terms of visa, the core IGM rules. And so like visa, like all the kind of stuff I'm flirting around with there. I do. What I'm really talking about there is the Coltessian aspect. Again, second word of Coltessian is the idea that the, the, there's these two other principles. One of them is in the real world, uh, the players have final complete autonomy. So in other words, you get to define anything you want about your character in the real world. So in other words, oh, yeah, my, um, my dad didn't love me. I'm really into Transformers. Uh, I own a sports car, but I wish I had a better sports car. Anything you want, you can define it. You have final say. Whilst in the fantasy world, the GM has the final say. And what the GM doing is mining your real world stuff. Um, and, of course, the fa- and, and for me, that's like, you know, we don't have control of the real world. You know, we, I can. You know, I don't. I can't change what's outside the window. And there's something in the classical RPG which is really interesting. The GM takes the concept of reality, at, which of course is what the d20 symbolises in die. So that kind of the idea of like you're prodding this external reality to you, and you don't quite know how it's going to work is part of the game's magic. However, what's where die does work is, and this is I think this is, I think where it becomes easy to run, and actually feels much more like a more narrative game is. The GM has complete control, which also means the GM can throw that control back. So a classic die situation would be like, okay, you're heading to this forest. And, okay, uh, Dan, uh, tell me about your persona's uh, grandma's house. And you describe the grandma's, and oh, no, i great. And I say, okay, that's in the, that house is exactly there in the woods ahead of you. Except so one difference. There's an enormous wolf with your grandma's face curled upon the roof. So that's an example of like, oh, no, you're still doing world creation stuff, but it's very much ritualized and you're and the, the fun bit about die is you have a lot of power you and you know it you know that's going to be important you don't quite know how it's going to be used and that is the that's the fun weird spice as in you know it's like putting your hand in a trap you know it's going to bite you <laughs> so there's an excitement like, okay i'll tell you about my grandma's house what's going to happen now and that's what i mean and that's what i think is the interesting ritual of die as and it's using quite you know quite modern narrative techniques but a slightly different different twisted how it operates and of course like in it's also really and it is just the slight and even the, the fact is sorry i've stopped As i did say the gm has quote unquote the final second throw the choice back on people and they really can and like a classic a die campaign is like if anyone's a writer we're, there's a realm which is about your unfinished novel you know and like, you ask oh, in your in your fantasy novel tell me about the capital and then again, here's the cap, you know, so it's all, you know, you can absolutely use all those techniques, but you're also aware that the GM is going to be warping them in different ways because they have that final say. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was sort of reaching out there.
0: That's great. I'm going to throw up a, uh, a, uh, a comment uh, that Gregory Morrison had on YouTube a couple minutes back. He said, um, what I found interesting, I think he's played the Die RPG. What I, find, what I found interesting about asking the questions there in the Persona generation is that they almost create a promise that the answer will become relevant um, in the game in the future. And I think Gregory goes on to say, particularly if you've played the game before and you kind of know that they're going to get twisted into some kind of weird, creepy uh, opposition later on. Um
2: so it sounds like Gregory finds that very effective. I, I'm I'm glad Gregory does. That for me is absolutely it. Because it's one of these things like if somebody it's like somebody who chooses to be, play a, I mean this is classic GMing stuff even, but if someone chooses to play like the badass warrior, you kinda that you, means I want to fight somebody. So GM, give me someone to fight. And if you if you choose as a persona saying I've had a bad relationship with my you know I, I miss my dog you want to see the dog. <laughs> you know like Um, There's a big essay in the beta which I've which I've actually cut because it's not necessary. Um, Actually, I'm not sure. I think Rowan did cut it. I don't think it's in the final uh, book, but it's the concept of like um, throwing balls. This is kind of like a narrative thing which writers do. Um, Identify uh, so much of narrative structure is just recognizing that a ball has been thrown. In other words, if at the start you say um, I want to get to Mount Doom, that's a ball in the air. At some point, you are going to get to Mount Doom or give up and not, and if you've never, never mentioned Mount Doom again, that feels weird. So die is a, there's a lot about die structure is about recognizing what is a ball. And this is kind of like part of the, where the final game is much better than the beta is. We do a lot of rituals. So instead of giving this broad GM advice of how to identify what's important to a persona, we, we break it down. So that instead of having completely free form questions, which of course you can still do, we get very set questions. You know, we get some set questions. We, we know we'll give juicy answers. And then after you scribbled everything down, we give a kind of here's a checklist of like, you identify what's really important to this person, so that's the that's the character's backbone. You know, that's the I think their their fatal flaw essentially. As in, what's really wrong with their life? And then you just write a list of all the other kind of minor elements because there's also things like, for example, as they say, it's like, it's the difference between what you need to include, like saying like, I hate my life because I my career is over, my wife left me, uh, and you know I don't think I've any hope and I, I wish I was in a better world when I was a hero, you know, that's something like that, <laughs> you know, it has to turn up. Otherwise the story would be broken. But if you mention, Oh yeah, I really like um, playing a monopoly or like, you know, something like that, you'll be surprised when, a, when your ex wife turns up in, in like the boot from monopoly to crush you or something, you know, <laughs> like there's a mixture of you know, um, what is necessary and what is fun spice because the fun spice is a surprise, you know, and, and if you don't use that stuff, no one cares. Oh, and that's the other thing, like that Persona Gen stuff. Like, this is also one of those cool rules. I meant the principles, Like Persona Gen never ends. You know, just because you've done all the questions at the beginning and asked a bunch, you can always ask more. You know, I mentioned the what's your grandma's house question earlier. You know, and that's because, that, you know, all the way through, the gen will almost always be asking questions about Persona's real world to mine more stuff, which is relevant. Um, and it's also useful because the longer the game goes on, the more you're to remind them they are people from the real world rather than just fantasy characters there's definitely kind of, um, that's another one of the principles. If, like, if it ever get, if it gets too uh, fantastical, ground it. And if it ever if it, if it gets too um, grounded, make it weird. Like, for example, um, a, a classic die technique is like, if it starts being like a, a classic hobby probably want to crash it. Like, if you just, like, let's say you've you killed an orc or something, and it's like, in a game, you don't, and it, in die, you, what the sort of classic GM thing we do is stop and go, hey, have you ever hit anyone in the real world? You know, or you know that, and bring it back, and then like, how does it? You know, your sword went through it. How do you feel to having done this? And just stop and really ask them how they feel as a persona, because it immediately takes you back from the tropes. And of course, vice versa, if it comes a bit too, if it comes really grounded, you probably want to throw in a dragon, or like a, a dragon with the face of your like, um, your 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 den a uh, dog or whatever so there's a lot of dead dogs in here like, i don't know why it's so upsetting um, <laughs> <you> Weird <know, he laughs> the normal and grand the fantastic that's the that's another cool dice with principle and i think this. i said this is for me is the because like, we've got it so much better to make it easier to do it now like the rituals are really quite tight i mean there's really my favorite one it's so basic As in, how do you make an interesting monster and it's like idea plus idea equals novelty so like a bandit <laughs> chief is a bandit chief is boring a bandit chief who is like your old-school bully is interesting. <laughs> Just take any two ideas from the, that list, you know, that list of stuff you've gathered for Persona general and a list of standard gaming tropes, put the two together and you've suddenly got, oh, no, that's interesting now. Or at least interesting enough for an RPG. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. Like, uh, um, I'm really proud of what, what the whole, all of our idea have done with this. Like, we, we, I really think it's neat. Super powerful.
0: Powerful.
1: So we are running uh, out of time Unsurprisingly, probably barely scratched the surface Here, Kieran uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, ask If there was anything about the game Or the comic uh, or them together That we haven't touched on that you feel like Is really important that we uh, make sure The audience knows about
2: I, don't know, I mean, honestly I'll give you a, a real kind of big Random dive on it and It's kind of like the, the, the comics yeah. being yeah. collected In the hardcover in November as well So that's available from comic shops soon um the game i'm have done so much work on this and we are really kind of drilling down into how can we make this accessible because it's like I'm, as i said earlier on i'm aware of when it when you start describing it how meta it is it sounds like it's difficult and i swear it's not like i think we've got it in a way which is completely <laughs> playable by like people who are new to the gaming and um, you know because it's there is a level of accessibility to playing a real person in a weird situation so all that kind of stuff like I, i'm really like happy with where it's ended up um, and the Kickstarter, go, no, see if you like it. Um, there's a video of like me and Grant talking, both of us got COVID by doing that video. So, uh, please watch the video, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, <that> cool. <laughs> um, uh,
0: very briefly. There's a, there's a moment, uh, in the comic where, um, people are surprised to be, uh, back in 2020 and don't know what the masking's all about. It hit me pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, Paul and I were at a gaming convention in uh, 2019. We were watching uh, what's coming up with D and D, and we 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 dawned on both of us like next year's 2020. That's very important for gaming. We'll we'll clearly all be rolling with advantage next year, and it turned out to be exactly <laughs> the opposite. 2020 was completely cursed, um, and yeah. you uh, you totally you totally observe that uh, in the die comic. So it just it hit everything that's been happening to us like super well. It was, um, it was a bit. I, I was personally,
2: yeah, yeah, it is. Like, honestly,
0: it was.
2: like, uh, go ahead. No, no, to say, <laughs> for me, it was cyberpunk twenty twenty. You know, like, so I was always like, think that was like the the aspect of it. And It was like, I was, I, I didn't cause the pandemic. But That kind of like, oh no, they're gonna they're gonna get back in May twenty twenty or whatever. So I have got to this is this is the react, and of course, it gives it a really weird scourging of the Shire time of mode. You know what I mean? Like, and obviously, I didn't plan that or want or even want to, obviously want to do it. It was just kind of, let's write reality. Because a lot of my work, in my indie work, it's always set in a time period. Like, even if it's right now, I want it set in a, you know, it's, all, it's almost like historical fiction in the present. Like, that was the least part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was personally just super affected by uh, the comic, and it's one of my uh, favorite comics I've ever read now. And I would recommend anybody that is, that's interested in role-playing games uh, to go get the Die comic. And also check out the Die Kickstarter, which is already an enormous, smashing success. Um, and so I, it's it's a it's a it's a great work that you've done here, and everybody should check it out.
2: Thank you. Also, you're incredibly kind, and the fact that you know it was one of those bits when you did die the comic. It's like, oh, is, is there enough like people who take RPG seriously to buy this? I and mean, it's done really well. You know, it's that kind of like it's a leap of faith in terms of oh, there's an audience for this, and there is an audience for this, which is great. So I'm glad it worked for you. That's awesome.
1: Awesome. Uh, viewers, if you would like to find links to the Kickstarter or uh, where to find the comic, uh, or just more information about die in general, you can check out the uh, description of the video here on YouTube. Uh, that should be placed there for, uh, for posterity. Uh, so please, uh, check it out. And if you have any questions or comments about, uh, uh, meta RPGs and, and or how, um, uh, you know, how the, the the classic trove of getting sucked into a fantasy world plays out in gaming. Uh, leave us a comment. Leave us a question. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe that will spin us into uh, further detailed conversations down the road.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll look forward to that. And remember, of course, that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, the Wandering DMs, if you're new to the channel. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub, if you're a coder, and also TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites, so look for us there, please.
1: If you prefer to listen to this show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those files are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find us on various podcast carriers like iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcast. If you're listening to this show right now on one of those carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And as usual,
0: uh, enormous thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. You'll see a couple different tiers, benefits like uh, behind the scenes uh, videos and polls, uh, discounts on merch, access to a private Discord server where we continue the chat live by video every Sunday. And we'll be there in about 10 minutes. Um, so please join us there. And you'll be, you'll be there today, Paul, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely uh, consider come joining us if you're really interested, you want to talk more about Die? Um, toss a, toss a dollar at us on Patreon, get, it, get into the Discord, and we'll roll you into the conversation.
0: Yeah, we'll look forward to that. Uh, of course, I'll be back uh, late Thursday night here Eastern Time in New York uh, for more of Dan Plays Games from the Elder Times as I play uh, a, a game that's new on Steam called Pool of Radiance. Uh, so I'm playing that for that for the very first time. And you can see me kind of find my way around uh, a game from 1988 uh, and, uh, and exploring that uh, advanced D&D game there. But enormous thanks to Kieran Gillen today. Uh, such a wonderful conversation, uh, wonderful uh, literature that you write, and a, a great gaming project. So thanks so much for your time today, Kieran.
2: Thank you very much for having me. This has been delightful.
0: Awesome. Uh, Of course, we're live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, so please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see
1: you.